Well, good morning, church. I grew up. Uh, I grew up as a church kid, and I sit in the pew every Sunday there at, all the time at church. And each Sunday, I'd sit in the pew. I'd see the the preacher up there. I'd be in Sunday school hearing the teachers talk. Uh, I'd see people singing and praying on stage. I'd see the leaders, and I assumed as a child that those people had it all together. That they were so close to God and always felt His presence, and that's why they were preaching, that's why they were teaching, that's why they were singing and praying. And as a teenager, even as a young adult, I began to think, is there something wrong with me and my Christianity when I don't feel like God is that close to me? I assumed I was the the problem, right? I kept going to church, I kept reading my Bible, and yet I still felt at times like I was missing out on joy. Or there was a lack of maybe spiritual fervor or spiritual energy. But I assumed it was something wrong with me. And then I became a pastor. And guess what? All of my problems in life were solved. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I've still endured spiritual valleys and funks. Moments where I'm reading the Bible and yet I feel like God is a thousand miles away. Right, enduring trials and pain and emotional distress, sleepless nights and wondering the question, right, where, where are you, God? Are you even here involved in this? Reminds me of that verse from you know, the classic song, American Pie, where Don McLean, he says, the three men I admire most, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, they caught the last train for the coast the day the music died. And apparently even God had to distance himself from suffering and let humans be by themselves on the day that music died. Today you may feel this. You may feel like God is not hearing you or looking at you. You read your Bible and you're not sure if God is even there. You're in trials and pain and depression, wondering if God is existing You may feel a doubt that God is good. Well, this sermon, this text is for for you. You might feel completely joyful today. You have such a spiritual energy right now. You are excited as you're singing, as you're praying, as you're living your life. You feel the closest of God and praise the Lord for that. Do not feel bad that you feel that. That is good. But one day you won't feel that. And this passage and this sermon is for you. But also you are a a brother and a sister in a family here. And we have ups and downs individually, which means that we have the responsibility and privilege to care for those in our family. So maybe there'll be a passage, a verse, a truth here that you can then apply to your brother or sister who might feel hopeless in life. So this sermon is for you. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 42 and 43. So would you please turn there in your Bibles. It's on page 469 of your pew Bible. We have been preaching through 1 Corinthians, kind of passage by passage, and we'll come back to that after the new year. But we're going to take a quick break here. Um, and, we, and these are kind of a couple chapters that I just think are very applicable to us today. If you're looking to grow in this area of understanding of these psalms or of this topic that we're going to call spiritual depression. I encourage you to get a book 
written about 70 years ago called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Fantastic book, classic book. We'll look at the topic today as we look at Psalm 42 and 43. Would you please stand in reverence for the word of the Lord? As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, send your light and your truth that we may grasp this passage this morning. Spirit, help us. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things I don't think the Bible gets enough credit for is its honesty. In these two Psalms, the the author is pouring out honest thoughts about God and thoughts to God, and he doesn't hold back. I think if we were to feel what he is feeling, we probably would try to clean up our prayers a little bit before we wrote them down for others to read. The reason why we're doing two Psalms together is because these Psalms were intended to be read together. Both talk about the same theme and have similar language about mourning and wondering why God has rejected him. But overall, the reason why these two psalms go together is because maybe you picked up on it, but there's a verse that is quoted word for word three times in these two psalms. 
In chapter 42, it's in verse 5 and 11. And in chapter 43, it is verse 5. So three times the same verse is repeated word for word. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Three times it's repeated. That is the description of what we're going to call spiritual depression. Spiritual unhappiness, a soul cast down, a soul in turmoil within. And yet, despite this true, honest feeling that just pours through this text, there is hope in God. So today, we are going to look at honest, real, raw feelings, but we're also going to consider the remedy that God gives us for this feeling, and there is hope in Him. So let's begin with the overall idea, the main point of this text, and then we're going to get into what the illness of spiritual depression is. The main point is, Christian, when you feel spiritually depressed or distant from God, do not turn from Him. Instead, lean into your honesty with God, and you will find hope in God. What I love about the book of Psalms is that it's kind of like a a journal or a sacred diary of prayers. It's not cleaned up at times. There's raw, honest feelings, cycles of belief and cycles of doubt. It's honest picture of who we are as human beings. Talking back to yourself. Here's the truth, but no, here's what I want to do. Here's the truth. Here's what I want to do. Cycles, right? This is realistic. I mean, think about it in a small way. The last time you went out to eat and you have the menu before you and you start kind of talking aloud if you're with someone else about what you want to eat, right? I, I think I want the burger today. Well, no, I, I really feel I want the pasta, but yesterday I was craving the burger, so we came out tonight because I want a burger, but when I look at the pasta, I think I want the pasta more. And you begin to talk to yourself, right? Or is it just me? Like, you guys are looking at me like I'm, I'm the crazy person. This is what the Psalms do with the soul. They go cycling back towards feelings and truth and what do I want? What do I not want? This and that inside look at someone's thoughts. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we were to be completely unfiltered and honest and put our prayers and thoughts and doubts on paper, we would have a lot of similarities with the Psalms. So we're going to look at this honest illness called spiritual depression. We're going to get to the medicine, we're going to get to the remedy later. But we need to sit in this for a while. So let's look at the illness of spiritual depression. So again, three times the same verse is mentioned. The psalmist is asking his own soul, his own heart, his own identity. He says, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? Essentially, he's asking himself, why are you not more joyful? Why is there melancholy or gloominess in you? Why are you not as excited about God as you were? Why are you not as happy as that other Christian? Why are you feeling like God is hard to reach and hard to feel? Have you ever thought, man, I I wish Christianity was a lot easier than this? Right, Jesus said, John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And yet sometimes we're looking around saying, I don't know if I understand what that full life is because my life really stinks right now. 
We have doubts and questions and insecurity. We have depression. Maybe you feel off. Maybe you just look back at your life and you say, I feel less motivated for Jesus today than I was last week. It could be a huge range of things. Three times in these chapters, the psalmist recognizes his soul, his being is down. And then verses 1 to 2 give us a really vivid picture of this spiritual depression. And I did not choose this passage because it mentions a deer on hunting week. It didn't hit me until I was preaching last sermon, last service. But look at this vivid picture, and it's a negative picture here of what this spiritual depression or distance from God looks like. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Imagine a deer so thirsty, and with each stream he comes upon, that stream is dry. And deer know their area. They know their region. They know where the streams and water are. So imagine him chaotically running from place to place where he knows normally he can get water. And when he ends up there, it's dry. He is panting, trying to survive. This is what the Christian who wrote this is feeling like. He's thirsting for God, desiring to find God, to feel God's presence, to be made alive by the living God. And yet he feels like everything going on in his life is making him wander and feel more thirsty for God's presence. He's lacking the nourishment of God. And some of you feel that today. You are absolutely parched and you need God. Some of you are barely getting by and you know you're missing out on joy in your life. And this is you to a degree. When something is physically wrong with us, we try to figure out why, right? If, I, if this afternoon my head starts hurting, I'm going to ask myself a lot of questions. Did I sleep enough? Have I eaten? Did somehow I bang my head against a door and not know? Or the most important question, right? Did I drink enough coffee today? We begin to self-diagnose, hey, I have this problem What's going on? But for some reason, spiritually, we don't do this. We don't begin to ask questions. If you have a week or a month or a season and you're like, I just don't feel God's presence, do we ever ask ourselves the questions? There are factors to why we may feel distant from God or spiritually depressed. And there's some of them mentioned here in these two chapters. I want to run through what the psalmist felt. Maybe this is not you. Maybe you have different reasons, but I think it's worth looking at. It is scripture. One of the factors for why this author felt distant from God is number one, because he has enemies. He has real enemies in his life. In verse three, he mentions there's a group taunting him and they're asking him, where is your God? Spiritual bullies here. In verse nine, he mentions there's oppression from an enemy. In verse 10, there's an adversary who's trying to cause doubt about the goodness of God. In chapter 43, there's an ungodly, unjust man who's oppressing him. We don't have all the details here, but it appears like this man is not at home. He's in exile. He's been kidnapped. He's in enemy territory, and he's being mistreated. Friends, some of you have relationships that absolutely crush you painful, uh, antagonizing relationships where you are hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually. 
We can't always compartmentalize our lives. We're not called to. Things that happen to you affect all of you. We think that we can kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, ignore that relationship, and go to work or go to church and not bring that with us, but we're only fooling ourselves. Sometimes painful relationships ruin your soul. Some of you are living in a tense filled home. Some of you have absolutely rough environment at work and you really despise going to work. People make your job, your work hard. I'm not saying we should call all these people enemies, but people's words and actions against us cause feelings of being downcast. Our souls are affected by other people. And all of us have As Christians, we have the true enemy, the the devil, hurling doubts at our soul as well, showing us our sin, trying to show us God doesn't actually love you. If God loves you, you wouldn't feel this distance, and he's taunting us as an adversary. And that affects our mood and our spiritual condition. So there's real-life enemies in the Psalms, and I think some of us have relationships, right, that just pour out and, and take from us, and we feel deflated spiritually. A second biblical factor for spiritual depression in this text is memories of good times. Sometimes thinking of the good old days makes our current days feel depressing. This psalmist has memories of good times. Look at chapter 42, verse 4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go out with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. This is a joyful memory. He's thinking of when he would gather with God's people and they'd go up to the temple singing and praising the feeling he had, the unity of the people, the experience. But by thinking of good things in the past, he now has a worse experience of today. For some of you, these upcoming holidays are not that joyful. You're going to show up to Thanksgiving on Thursday or Christmas next month with a smile on your face, but below that smile is hurt and grief. You remember your loved one, your spouse, your child, your friend, and there's that empty seat that everyone's trying to avoid talking about, but it's in your soul. Maybe there's conflict in your family, and it's causing a little bit of awkwardness, and you are remembering, I remember back in the day when everything was okay, when that person was here, when things were peaceful, and by remembering good things in the past, it makes our present condition sometimes seem a little worse. Memories of good times can cause our emotions and spiritual life to plummet. Another factor of why he is spiritually distant from God, or he feels he's spiritually distant from God, are because of his various trials. There's trials and suffering going on. In verse 7, again, a negative description. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Here the psalmist feels like he's standing in the ocean And wave after wave is crashing over him and he loses his footing and he's about to be drowning in his trials and circumstances. Maybe this has been you at times. But even in this, 
it's, it's worth noting that he recognizes that God is the one sovereign over these waves. What does he call these waves? He calls them your waves. Even though they're painful, even though they at times create chaos in his life, God is still sovereign even over the blow after blow, right? A lost job here, a dying family member, a rebellious child, a missed opportunity, and car problems, stuff going on at your house, mortgage payments. It could be anything, but trials affect our souls. And the last thing to mention here that might cause us to feel spiritually discouraged or distant, the psalmist had a separation from the place of worship. He was separated from the place of worship. Three times in these psalms, we read about the physical distance he had from the temple of God in Jerusalem. In verse 2, he's asking, when can I come again to appear before God? When can I come into the presence of God at the temple? In verse 6, he mentions his location being near Mount Mizar, which is far from the temple. And in verse 4 of chapter 43, he's longing to be at the altar of God again, which implies he is not near the altar of God. This man is physically distant from the temple of God and God's people. When we are not in harmony with God, we cannot assume that we will be in harmony with ourselves or other people. We are made by God, and we are made for the purpose of God. So when we are not with God, worshiping God, things may not be ordered properly. He, as an Israelite in the Old Testament, being far from the temple, feels off. When you and I don't worship, which is what we were created to do, we go down a slope that ends up in emotional and spiritual danger. Worshiping God and gathering with God's people is one of the keys to joy. So these are four reasons from the text why the psalmist feels like that thirsty deer who's unable to find the nourishment of God. And what I want you to note here, I want you to note is that it seems as far as we can tell that none of these factors were his fault. He did not intentionally leave God's temple. He was probably brought into exile, captured by an enemy nation. Those trials and waves that are crashing over him, he's probably not in control of those. I want you to know that just because you lack joy in your life with God does not necessarily mean you have done something wrong and this is a punishment from God. And some of you need to hear that today. Your circumstances that you are dealt are not always because you deserve them. However, I must mention that sometimes we do lack joy and nourishment and spiritual energy for God because we are in sin. Right? One of the clearest signs that we are sinning is that we lack joy in God. So if you are feeling downcast or depressed or you feel like your relationship with God is a little bit off, take inventory of your sin. Is your sin ruling you? Is sin controlling you? Because sin loves to take the joy out of our life. It takes our soul and leads it downward. So check to see if there's sin, but there could be contributing factors here. It might be sin. It might be life circumstances. Sometimes your physical health affects your spiritual health way more than you know. Things affect our souls. Bible characters felt this depression. Your church family has. I have. This is reality at times. 
And I want to note something. Jesus himself felt anguish in his soul. Jesus is God. Jesus is always with God. We at times feel separated from God. There's distance. Jesus is literally in his nature God, and yet he still felt a downcast soul. On the cross at Calvary, what did Jesus say? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had the sins of the world on himself, felt the weight of desertion. His soul was downcast. It's not just the psalmist feeling it or you or me. Jesus felt it too. And if Jesus felt this, if Jesus can know what it feels like to feel that distance, then Jesus is our true high priest who can sympathize with everything. Even our downcast, depressed soul. But God doesn't leave us to suffer or to feel off or to continue our entire life in spiritual depression. He actually has provided us a medicine, a remedy. And we see it here in this psalm too. So the last half here is about this medicine. Sometimes medicine works almost instantly. Sometimes it takes time to see its healing power. I can't guarantee you that if you take this, this psalm and you apply it, that all of a sudden right away your, your depression is gone. But we trust in what we call the sufficiency of God's word. That in the Bible, there's everything we need for life and godliness, which means if you take this word, God is going to use that in your life for your good because he loves you. And I guarantee you, you will find joy. Maybe you're enduring a tragedy or a loss or sickness or insecurities or spiritual laziness or anything and I think the psalms, these psalms give us three things that we should do in the moments, in the, in the midst of those. Before we look at those three things, I want to just mention, in times of depression or sorrow or trials, even if they're not your fault, there's going to be a temptation for you to try to find relief from something besides God. We like to self-medicate spiritually. We drink until we forget. We buy things to accumulate possessions to entertain us. We do anything to distract us from the gaps in our life, from the longings of our soul. We put stuff off. We stay away from church. We know we should have that conversation with that person, but we put it off. We keep the Bible on the shelf. We pursue self-remedies. But the psalmist here says, don't turn to your own man-made concoctions, but turn to God who's given you a remedy. So the psalmist is going to encourage us to make three turns in our life. The moment you feel off with God, three things we should do. The first one is this. Turn from listening to yourself to talking to yourself. Turn from listening to yourself to talking to yourself. When you and I face rejection or disappointment or loss, it's so easy for those things to have the last word in our life. In times of depression, it's so easy to let those feelings overcome us. We think, I'm not worth it. Maybe my marriage or my relationship failed because of me. I'm not good enough or smart enough or pretty enough. Not this, not that. We lose a job. We think, I'm not as good as those other people. Everything is pointless. We let insecurities and sorrows and pain and circumstances have the last word. 
We let them talk to us and we sit there listening as if we are the slave to those things. But here in Psalm 42 and 43, there is real pain and doubts and circumstances and feelings. And yet the psalmist turns from letting them talk to him to him talking to them. Look again at that three time, that three time repeated phrase. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He speaks to his depression. Do you note that? He doesn't let his depression speak to him. He takes charge. This whole passage is the psalmist taking control of his situation. He still cries. He feels pain. There's doubts. Feelings matters. You should feel honestly, but feelings don't triumph. You speak to your true feelings. You talk to yourself. You preach to yourself. I mean, even though he felt depressed, he still spoke to, to himself and he said three times, hope in God. He's preaching to himself. He's trying to awaken himself to God, right? What he wants to do is lay in his bed of spiritual laziness and gloominess and let just himself be by himself. But like an alarm clock, he says, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God to wake himself up. He talks to himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I mentioned earlier, is so good on this. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking to you. Who is talking to you? Now, instead of allowing this self-talk, start talking to yourself. You and I become our biggest condemners. You and I become our biggest discouragers. We stress ourselves out. And yet here the psalmist begins to speak to himself with honest feelings. He tells himself how he feels. And yet he calls himself to do what he knows he should do. And that is hope in God. The truth that you already know in your mind, in your heart, from the Bible, from the reality of God's kingdom... Those are in your mind to teach yourself when you least want to hear them. You have these truths that you've heard from sermon after sermon or Sunday school class or from your parents or from reading your Bible. Those are in your mind to teach yourself and to speak when you don't want to hear them. Hope in God. Hope in God. He repeated it three times, which means it doesn't always stick the first time. Again and again, he speaks the truths and reality of God to himself. So turn from letting your circumstances and your feelings speak to you, but speak truth to yourself. And Jesus modeled this for us. Early in the Gospels, Jesus was brought into the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days, no water, no drink. So he's suffering. Can you imagine that? When we go 12 hours without it, we feel it. Can you imagine 40 days? And he's there, he's being tempted by the devil himself. And the devil's offering him bread. The devil's offering him comfort and safety. And in the midst of anguish and suffering, what does Jesus do? He recites and quotes scripture three times. He talked aloud into his situation. We would be wise to do the same thing. 
talk to yourself and talk to yourself with the truths of scripture. That's what we call biblical meditation, by the way. Psalm chapter one, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. That meditation is a mumbling, a speaking to oneself the truth of God's word. Speak and meditate on scripture in the midst of your discouragement. And if you feel discouraged today, I encourage you to mumble Romans 8 to yourself all the day long. Preach Romans 8 to yourself when you feel like God is distant, when you feel like you are unlovable, where God doesn't actually care about you or see you in your pain. Preach and speak and hear Romans 8 over and over to yourself. Talk to yourself. The second thing to do in the midst of spiritual depression is to turn from resisting God's presence to entering into God's presence. So don't resist God, actually enter into his presence. Don't lean away, but lean into. One of the fleshly reactions we have when we feel like God is distant from us is to keep that distance from God there. We run from God. We think, if he is far from me, why would I come to him? Why read the Bible if I'm not getting anything out of it anyway? Why come to church if I don't want to be at church? God hates hypocrites. Why should I show up here if I don't really want to be here? Suffering and pain and depression either drives us to God or from God. Right? We're going to enter into this, the, the season we call the winter blues, right? The melancholy seeps in at times in some of us. And it could keep us from God. It keeps us. Even though we become less busy and we stay at home, it actually can keep us from good spiritual habits. We end up resisting God's presence for the only reason of we just don't feel like it. But note this psalm. He doesn't just resist God. He enters into God's presence. In verse 1 of chapter 42, he begins by praying to God. In the midst of his depression, he says, my soul pants for you, O God. He's speaking directly and personally to God. Do you speak to God in the midst of your suffering or disappointments or even when you just feel off? When you feel unenergetic for God, do you even tell him that? We think, I'm not going to tell God that. He'd be mad at me as if God doesn't know that we already feel that way. And then he spends a lot of verses talking about God, complaints about God. But then again, by the end, verse 4 of chapter 43, he addresses God personally again. He says, oh God, my God. He may not be the most consistent example, but he goes through waves like us, beginning and ending by speaking directly to God. He prays. He doesn't wait for his feelings to be made right. He doesn't wait for his motivations or his affections to catch up. He just prays. He doesn't say, let me clean up my act and then I'll come. No, he just comes. He enters into the presence of God. And in chapter 43, look in chapter 43, look at verse 3. He asked for something specific from God in the midst of his dark depression. He asked for God's light and truth to lead and guide him to to God's dwelling. In other words, God, lead me closer to you. Let me feel you. Show me the truth of this situation, the truth of you, and let my eyes be guided by your light in the midst of my darkness. Let me find you. 
He wants to be in the presence of God. He prays and he begs and he leans into God in the midst of his problems than rather than lean away from God. <clears throat> I had a, a car problem last week. Something goes wrong with one of my cars like every three weeks, which makes good for sermon illustrations. <laughs> but when there's something goes wrong in your house or your life that you are not skilled at all to fix, you just want to throw the towel in, Right? So I'm just ready like, just to call the tow truck, you know, give it to a mechanic. I don't want to deal with it. I'll just give you like, whatever money you tell me to at that point. I just don't want the problems, right? But thankfully, I have a good friend named Alan Dunham. Who One thing I love about Alan is that Alan always leans into problems. And I mean that in a good way. He leans in. And there's a couple moments where something was not really working right in the car. And I'm like, Alan, I'm, I'm apologizing endlessly to Alan. Like, I'm wasting your time. You're here. You feel bad when people help you. I'm like, we can just call this in the mechanic. And he's like, no, he keeps leaning into the problem. I think when we realize that life is hard or something's not right in our soul, we are so naturally bent to run from the problem rather than lean into God and ask him to come into it. Life can be hard because of trials or financial hardship or you doubt God's presence. Lean into God. Pray. Pray to him. Don't just talk about him or think about him or complain about him. Do those things, yes, but pray to him. Talk to him. And Jesus did this as well. The night of his arrest, before the cross, in anguish, knowing the upcoming pain of about what's about to happen and what does he do? He leans into it and invites the Father into it. And he says honestly to God, take this cup from me. And he ends by saying, your will be done. He leans into God in the biggest moment of suffering in the history of the world. I think we'd be wise to follow Jesus there. It's also, we must note that this psalmist several times mentions how he's missing out on gathering in God's place with God's people. In, in 42.4, he's reminiscing about when he would sing with the throng, with the gathering of people, parading to worship God. In 43.3, he's wanting to go to the dwelling place of God where God's people dwell to worship. He doesn't want to run from Christians or run from the church in disappointment. He actually longs for it. It is so easy for us in tough moments in life when we don't feel like church, we don't feel like God to resist church and God for a bit, to take a season off, to have some me time. And yet all that does is make our spiritual illness that much stronger. We think, I don't want to read the Bible today. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to put on a, a, a fake face before all these people and shake hands. And yet by that logic, we are actually inviting more of this spiritual depression into us. There's been a few times in my life where I was so sick in bed that I didn't want to go to the doctor. To imagine even walking up out of the bed was going to bring me pain. And to imagine getting in a car and driving and sitting in a waiting room and waiting. And yet it was exactly what I needed. It'd be so easy to stay in bed and sit in your despair. But all that would do is keep me more sick and sick. Friends, spiritually, it's so easy for us to just sit in what we're doing and not invite God, not invite other people, and yet all that does is encourage that feeling to continue. 
Learn from this author to read from your Bible. Because in reading from your Bible, you come into the unique presence of God and you learn of him and your heart will love him when you see him there, even if you don't feel it. Friends, learn from the psalmist to keep praying, especially when you don't think it's working. God is there. He hears. And friends, do not run from the church when life gets hard. God's people might be the very thing he uses to lift your soul from its downcast depression. I think COVID is proof of this. We were less spiritually healthy when we could not gather together. Thankful for podcasts and live stream. Thankful for it today. But that is not at all within the ballpark of what we're doing right now. There's something sacred here. That's a substitute. It's not nearly as good being in this room with God's people. Something sacred and emotional happens here that's hard to describe. So that's why we create the good habits right now so that when rough times come, those habits are already there. So lean into God. Don't resist him. But third and finally, the last turn to make in the midst of spiritual depression is to turn from only looking at disappointment to looking at the hope we have in God. In the midst of this psalmist's depression and him dealing with it, he looks beyond disappointment and he looks to God. And we see this in in two ways very clearly. Firstly, that three-time repeated phrase, how does it end? Look at verse 5. Pick either chapter. It's the same verse. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My salvation and my God. Or look over at chapter 43, verse verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. He always gets to God. He keeps bringing God to mind. He calls God in verse 5, my salvation. I want you to note this. In verse 5, he's not saying, God, come save me from this, though I think that's implied. He is calling God the title, my salvation. That is who God is, period. Whether he feels it or not, God is his salvation so he can have hope. Even if the winds and storms and the waves are crashing over him and he's in distress, he can always fall back on the foundation that his God is the God of salvation, period. And then in chapter 43 there, verse 4, he calls God my exceeding joy. Again, he's not saying, God, be my joy even though he has implied, he is saying, God, you are my exceeding joy. God is this thing and will continue to be this thing. Our cure and our medicine in times of desperation and depression is to hope in this God. Now, hope to our modern world are just hypothetical dreams that probably won't happen. The Chicago Bears winning a Super Bowl. Human hope, right? But when the Bible talks about hope, it's a confident and certain expectation that God will be God. Our future is hopeful despite our present circumstances because God will be God in the future. 
Hope is certain. It is stable. We can have hope in the worst of storms because there is God unchanging, paving our life, paving all of history, all the way to eternity, and nothing can stop him. And he is holding us, and he will hold us, and that will never change. At some point, one of these nights coming up, there's going to be a bad winter storm, and you're going to be driving home from from work, and you're barely going to be able to see the road. That, kind of that perfect snowfall, right, where it's coming right at your windshield, like you're in that beginning of Star Wars. You know what I'm talking about? It's a movie. I've seen, I've seen like one of them, but it's a big deal. But you have your headlights on, and your headlights become your salvation. They shine forward, maybe only three feet or 10 feet or 20 feet, but they begin to show, hey, this pathway is the right way to go, and that will guide you home. In the midst of disappointment and storms of life, there is God shining before us, and that God never changes. His bulbs never go out. So what we are called to do, friends, is let our doctrine lead us and let our feelings and depression and circumstances catch up to our doctrine. When we let our feelings or doubts or depression lead, we leave doctrine and the character of God behind us. But when we look to God and say, who is God? What is he going to do? What has he already done? Then our feelings and our depression will catch up with our doctrine to God. Look to him. Who is he? What has he done? What will he do in the future? The more and more you know who God is, the more you can actually survive and maybe even thrive in your deepest valleys of life. So we have to reorient our mind and our vision and consider God. Who is this God? He's all powerful and eternal and nothing can knock him off. He's full of comfort and mercy and love. The alpha, the omega, the sovereign king. He knows how many hairs are on your head and how many blades of grass there are on planet earth. This is your God. So you can have real hope because he is God. And Jesus has made certain that this hope can be and will be a reality for you. On the cross, he said those words, it is finished. It is done. Our sin and guilt and mistakes, our depression, our circumstances, our pain, they don't have to define us because Jesus finished them off eternally. He resurrected to life so that you and I can have life and hope in a depressing world. It's certain, it's finalized, it's a done deal. You have a spot reserved for you at the heavenly banquet table, and it will not be taken or stolen. It is yours because of Jesus. So as you suffer, as you endure pain and depression, as you try to shake off that sin, as there's a lack of affection in your heart for God, guess what? It's real, but it's not going to win. Jesus has already won. So you have the cross, you have hope, and that's Jesus said, to me, all of you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That is realistic hope, and he is doing that for you now. So we invite you, if you are not a Christian, to come into this certain and stable hope where you can have eternity right now, where you don't have to rely on changing circumstances or feelings, but you can find your identity in the rock of our living God, Jesus. But I also invite you, if you are struggling this morning, you struggling Christian, find your hope in who God is. Jesus is our constant, our rock, 
our living God. And the more that we as a church lean into him in the midst of the mess of our lives, the more we will find hope and shine bright the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you for you are our salvation and our God. No matter what we endure, those words are true. Comfort us, encourage us, help that truth shine bright in our life. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.